periods suck. They're not supposed to be so painful that you can't get out of bed. They're not supposed to leave you bleeding for a year without stopping. They're not supposed to make sex incredibly painful or leave you with chronic fatigue or years of uncertainty as doctors struggle to say, what the heck's going on with you? See, it's more than just a period on steroids. This is the reality for people who experience endometriosis. It's a disease that doesn't let up for its sufferers, with a multitude of symptoms and flow-on effects to every aspect of your life. But for something that's so shockingly common, and not just in women, there's a lot of mystery, confusion and politics around endo, its diagnosis and treatment. Nat Tenchich here, and in this episode, we're going to dive deep into endo to better understand this debilitating condition. You'll hear how it's affecting girls as young as 13, right through to women who are trying for kids and beyond, and why it's taken some people over a decade to get diagnosed and treated. Plus, we'll talk about the huge impact it has on sex and relationships. So, are you still confused? If it's not a bad period, then what the heck even is endo? It's basically where um, some cells or some tissue that should live inside the uterus lives outside the uterus. So most commonly in other places in the pelvis, but there's um, every now and again, there'll be in some really other kind of funky spots in the body um, up close towards the chest or in some other, other spots. That's Dr. Charlotte Elder, gynaecologist and spokesperson for RANSCOG, the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. She specialises in paediatric and adolescent gynaecology, so she's helped a lot of young people go through endo. But even for someone who's an expert in the scene, the cause of endometriosis is still a big unknown. There are heaps of theories that have been thrown around over time, but still today, no one can pinpoint what is actually going on in there. So what do we know? We know that people who bleed more are more likely to have endometriosis spots. So people who have heavier periods or more periods or longer periods. Um, uh, and we know that people who don't have periods at all, it's very unlikely to get, very, very unlikely. And um, we know that some people, it runs in families a bit. So maybe some people, maybe they're just, their bodies are a bit stickier inside their belly. So it can kind of stick onto their pelvis, or maybe they're just not as good at clearing it up. Because we do know that people, some people are really good at clearing endometriosis up. Um, so some people can heal their own endometriosis. Um, so it's a really, it's a really interesting, and we don't know if maybe there's like, three or four different diseases that right now we just call them all endometriosis, but actually they're all separate things. It's so complicated. Now, I want you to meet Ella from Naracourt. She's been struggling with painful periods and excessive bleeding since she was just 14. Even though these are two pretty big signs of endo, finding out for sure isn't that simple. She told a story as part of the ABC's Haywire competition because for years she's been suffering without answers. I'm the one girls come and talk to about their periods. They talk to me about advice I've had from their doctors. I'm glad I can help them out, but I wish I didn't know period pain so well. I have it all. Back pain, cramping, body aches, migraines and nausea. It started when I was 14. I was a typical teenage girl. I was getting A's in my school subjects, playing representative basketball and netball. But one day, the pain struck me out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I was exhausted. My iron levels dropped. dropped. 
I was wearing everything you could and still bleeding through within half an hour. I stopped going to school, scared I was going to leak. People gossiped, assumed I was wagging. The doctors couldn't work out why it was happening. Eventually, I got to see gynaecologists. I did everything the specialist said. I tried three different contraceptive pills over nine months. Then I got a contraceptive injection with different hormones. Both exasperated my symptoms. The specialist recommended an IUD called a Marina. The two weeks post-op were the worst of my life. My abdominal pain was like contractions. I had my period every day for a year before it started to work. It worked for five months. But then everything came back. The doctors told me I was too young to have endometriosis. It was too unlikely, so I couldn't be diagnosed. Without the surgery to diagnose endometriosis, I feel like I'm in limbo. It's harder because there aren't any permanent specialists in Narakul. I have to wait months to see someone or drive four hours to Adelaide. I can't finish year 12 with what I'm currently going through. I wish doctors would take girls more seriously instead of just saying, here's, here's the, the pill. pill. I wish there was more information about endometriosis. I want other girls to trust that they know their own body. If you think something is wrong, back yourself. Back yourself. I've learnt warm wheat packs help. I've learnt to be my own advocate. I'm planning to be a primary teacher because I like helping people learn. I just wish the doctors could learn what was going on with me. So each person's journey with endo is really individual. The way people experience symptoms and what their bodies go through can be pretty different too. Look, if you've had anything about endo before, you would have probably heard that the most common symptom is pain, like Ella experienced. Well, for some people, even that isn't always the case. It's a really interesting thing because for some people, um, it causes all sorts of trouble. And for other people, it causes no problems whatsoever. So some people have it and don't feel anything. They're just normal, just cruising around, doing their normal thing, no biggie. Other people have a lot of pain. And that can be pain that happens when you're bleeding. So with your period, it can be pain that happens when you're having sex. It can be pain that happens just because and no particular reason. Um, and interestingly enough, you can have a whole bunch of endometriosis and no pain and you can have no endometriosis and really kind of what we'd call typical endometriosis type pain. So the amount of endometriosis doesn't match the pain. And that's one of the things that's really suggested to us that we need to look into it more. Unfortunately, I think there's heaps that we don't know about it, which is um, really frustrating. If you're feeling like you're coming away from this with more questions than solid answers, well, same. Nothing about endo is straightforward. With all of these symptoms varying for each person, it's so hard to nail down. And as you can imagine, not fully understanding the cause and symptoms of this chronic illness ultimately affects the treatment of it, all of which can take years of trial and error. Here's Charlotte. So it really needs to be personalised and it depends what's going on in that person's life as to what the right treatment is. Medication treatment um, often works very well and in part because we know that if someone has 
fewer periods or no periods or no bleeding, then sometimes their body can fix the endometriosis by themselves. Um, and I think one of the unfortunate things that people um, often think is that using medication like the pill or like other hormonal medication, they think of it as like a band-aid and you know, just it's just kind of pushing it along and it's not gonna it's not gonna fix it. But um, certainly um, it is a really useful medication um, and can can really help um, a lot of people with their with their pain symptoms. Sometimes it doesn't work, um, and sometimes the combination of hormones that someone needs can be can be really kind of tricky to balance to get something that that, that matches with them. Um, in terms of non medication options. Um, Often it goes along with some other pain conditions, so um, irritable bowel syndrome um, and uh, musculoskeletal pain, especially pelvic floor pain and abdominal wall pain. And those um, can be treated in different ways. So um, the irritable bowel component often can be treated with diet or hypnotherapy actually can be really helpful, which sounds totally nuts, but mm. it's actually really cool. Um, and um, the other, the musculoskeletal pain, so the, the muscle type pain, often is really well targeted by physiotherapy. Um, we know that lots of other things impact on pain as well. So um, uh, someone who's had a history of trauma or depression or anxiety, all of those things can impact on pain so treating all of those other things can be can be really helpful in terms of other treatments specifically for the lesions of endometriosis and so by lesions i mean the spots they kind of look ready purple and sometimes they can be really tiny and sometimes they can be really big so the treatment for that is um, to cut it out so that's an operation called a laparoscopy and it's where a doctor puts a camera in, in through your belly button and puffs your belly up with um, gas so that they can see what's going on makes another couple of little cuts and puts instruments in and cuts out the bits of endometriosis and sometimes endometriosis can grow in cysts on the ovaries so sometimes those cysts can be can be removed with surgery as well it's really important to think of the treatment of endometriosis as being really holistic um, addressing things like sleep um, diet all of those things actually will make a really significant difference to someone's pain as charlotte said earlier there's still heaps we don't know but something we do know is that a lot of people are suffering from endo and the numbers are kind of wild. It's one in 10 Australians. There was a recent study from Endometriosis Australia that has it based on one in nine, but that's for a particular age group. Worldwide average one in 10. So it's just as common as asthma and diabetes. Um, but yeah, in terms of awareness, funding, investment really falls behind. You might have recognised that voice just now, Bridget Hustwaite of Good Nights. You usually catch her six to nine every night playing your brand new music on the radio, but she's also a huge endo advocate and the author of How to Endo, a book she's just put out about her own journey with it, dedicated to helping people with endo not only survive, but thrive. For Bridget, her diagnosis was 12 years in the making, and it all started with an abnormally heavy period. When I was 15, I went to a doctor uh, with my mum who was really concerned and just such a generic consult. Like uh, I was just told it's time to go on the pill, pretty much like Ella, you know, thankfully I didn't have to go through three different pills in the space of what, nine months. Mm. Um, but I did find that the pill, whilst it could, uh, you know, take away the bleeding and serve as a band-aid, it didn't do anything to take away the actual pain that I was feeling. So every month I'd still have the cramping, um, the nauseating throbbing. Uh, and then, um, yeah, over the years, 
you know, I kind of went back and forth between different medical professionals. Um, some did refer me to a gynecologist, but I wasn't uh, earning enough money to even pay for that consultation because it's not cheap. Uh, mm. And then I even had one doctor who just flat out dismissed me and said, you don't have endo, others have it worse than you. So that was a really shattering thing. Um, and then, yeah, if, I guess we just fast forward to 2018, I uh, had my first uh, surgery, uh, endometriosis uh, was taken out via excision surgery and yeah had stage four which is like the most severe spread as um charlotte mentioned doesn't correlate with or reflect the pain that you experience um but you know they said if you left it any longer you'd have to have like part of your bowel removed which is pretty terrifying when you're 27 um so yeah 12 years for me to to get answers and a medical confirmation that the pain that i was experiencing um wasn't just something that i was making up it also like extended beyond my period too i was getting abdominal cramping, uh, bloating, fatigue, painful bowel movements, painful sex. Um, yeah, but didn't think to link them all together because didn't know what endo, well, I didn't even know it existed, man, like when I was a teenager. Emilia Victoria is an endo advocate with a similar story. Her diagnosis journey took 11 years. Like Bridget and Ella, she was faced with disappointing and dismissive reactions from doctors, as well as a fair bit of misdiagnosis. I got my first period at 13. I remember waking up at like 4 a.m., hunched over in my bed, like couldn't even walk to the toilet and then just seeing blood. And as a 13-year-old girl, you're like, is this normal? Is this how it's meant to feel? You kind of put two and two together and you're like, well, I'm bleeding, so it should kind of hurt. But you just don't understand that it shouldn't be painful at that age. And when people around you You know, it's obviously a new thing. So talking to your friends about it, some of your friends haven't even gotten their period yet or they have and it's just like super mild for them. It gets really hard to kind of navigate and know where to go from there. I got to 16 and I was like, I can't do this any longer. And, you know, you reach out to your GPs for help. And like Bridget, the first thing they do is let's put you on the pill. There's no further investigation into anything. You just walk in, you say, I've got really painful periods. I'm vomiting in the shower. I've got horrible diarrhea. And they just say, oh, no, like, it's just you're unlucky. You you deal with period pain. And then the pill doesn't work and then you try a different pill and that pill, the second pill that I tried didn't actually agree with my mental health. I felt like I couldn't go anywhere for help because no one knew what was wrong with me. I had been at my local hospital every month in pain with period pain and not once was the word endometriosis like brought up ever. Yeah, it took a really long 11 years to finally get a diagnosis but along the way there was also a lot of misdiagnosis. I was diagnosed with appendicitis, IBS, I was tested for Crohn's disease, I had to have a colonoscopy before I even got my laparoscopy to rule out that because it's the last thing that any medical professional kind of goes to even though you have all the symptoms. So why are these diagnoses taking so damn long? with one in 10 women having endo, why don't we know more about it? Well, Charlotte points out that it probably has a lot to do with the fact that this disease is one that mostly affects women. Unfortunately, anything that kind of gets lumped as a bit of a a woman's issue, and I say that with inverted commas and a bit of an eye roll, um, often gets ignored. Um, Mm. and, And I think it's really, really important that if you have pain or if your periods or your bleeding is getting in the way of your life, you need to go to the doctor and tell them about it. And if they don't help you with it, 
go to another doctor because it's something that's really important and it's really important not to dis- not to have it dismissed. Oh, hello, old mate, institutionalised misogyny and heteropatriarchy. Can't do an episode without you, can we? It's kind of rude that you cause doctors to often not take women's pain and suffering seriously, isn't it? But in all seriousness, there are other kind of valid reasons for why that surgery is approached with caution by medical pros. I think there's a, a feeling um, that, you know, surgery is the way to go and that's the gold standard and that'll sort everything out and um, and that's that's how you know exactly what's going on. And it is, it is true, the only way to know what's happening is to have a look. But we know that um, the earlier that people have surgery, the more likely they are to have multiple operations. And we know that surgery itself is an independent risk factor for chronic pain. And so that's why we're not just operating on everyone. Also, um, laparoscopy itself has a small risk of death, but it's not a risk-free um, operation. And so I think that's why often um, it can feel a bit like doctors are being are being gatekeepers with, with surgery. But I think that um, the, the thing that that I find most distressing about all of these stories is that they weren't believed. They were made to feel like they should just shut up because it's just the way that things should be. And that for me, um, as a caregiver and as a a woman myself, I'm a cis woman, uh, that I think, I find that really distressing. So even if um, over the the course of your treatment journey, um, a laparoscopy is something that either doesn't happen or happens later in the journey, that's absolutely no excuse for feeling belittled or demeaned or not heard. The lack of research into endometriosis is really the root problem here. Not only does it feed into the long-haul journeys people go on to get diagnosed, but also the myths and misconceptions of this condition. Well, let's do some myth-busting, shall we? Here's Bridget's number one. I think one of the biggest ones is the misconception that endo is the endometrium. Uh, You Google it. Uh, in Australia, the f- definition that first comes up is incorrect. So it's, mm. it's not it's not the lining of the uterus. It's tissue similar. There's biochemical differences. And that's what makes it so confusing um, and why we can't depend on things like a hysterectomy as a cure. Yes, mm-hmm. a hysterectomy can cure adenomyosis, which is an associated condition because that occurs within the uterus, you know. Um, but endo is is got like yeah histological differences with those cells and stromas and it's outside of the uterus so removing the uterus isn't going to remove the endo and another huge myth is that falling pregnant will cure endometriosis and take away your pain well amelia knows firsthand that this is bs I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to fall pregnant. Um, I had my excision surgery uh, when I was 24 and then I waited six months after that and then it took my partner and I nine months to fall pregnant. Um, Some would say that's fairly quick, uh, while for me and my partner it felt like a lifetime because it was the unknown. You don't really know if you can fall pregnant until you start trying. Um, There are some cases where obviously in the surgery, your surgeon might be able to let you know, like, you know, completely infertile. Um, But most cases, you don't really know if you're infertile until you start trying. So my surgeon's biggest recommendation was start trying as soon as you feel ready and as soon as you can. So to hear that at 24, um, 
And also when my partner and I were still quite uh, new, it was quite a fresh relationship. It was a big kind of wake up call. And I was also told by my surgeon that I only had until the age of 30 to have uh, my babies. I felt like I was put on a really big timeline that was coming very quickly around the corner. <laughs> so we got started, yeah, six months after my surgery and fortunate enough to fall pregnant. But along the way, there was so many hiccups. It was, there was so much happening behind the scenes. Um, it wasn't just like, you know, okay, let's start trying to have a baby. There was so much testing that needed to be done. I was doing so many blood tests. Um, we were constantly trying to make sure that I do ovulate. There were some months that I wasn't ovulating. There were so many dietary changes that I needed to do, so many supplements that I needed to introduce just to get my body ready to hopefully be able to fall pregnant. Um, and when I did, I was a high-risk pregnancy. And that itself was scary because you go through the whole motion of trying to conceive and you have that doubt in your head, I might never fall pregnant. And then to be put in the high risk category of pregnancy was like, I feel like this moment could be taken away from me at any time. Um, so yeah, to live with that through the nine months of the pregnancy was super hard as well. And along the way, hearing from like midwives and doctor's appointments that I'd go to, Obviously, they asked for like backstory of what's your history, how did you fall pregnant, things like that. And I'd always say, you know, I have endometriosis, I had my surgery. Um, and they would just look at me and say, wow, you must be so happy, like you're cured. And I'm like, <laughs> I would just look at my partner and I'm like, I'm sorry, what did they just say? Like, There were times I'd leave like the doctor's rooms and I'd be shaking because I'm like, what? Like, how are we still saying this? I found myself biting my tongue a lot because I'm like, why do they keep saying that I'm cured? Like, itself, pregnancy was quite painful for me. I had, you know, with my uterus stretching, making room for the baby, it was stretching over a lot of scar tissue that was still quite fresh from my surgery. Mm -hmm. So that alone was like 10 out of 10 pain. And um, I had a low-lying placenta, which can sometimes be caused by like previous surgeries and things like that. So, yeah, it, it was a whole journey and wild ride itself after just going through the diagnosis and then heading into pregnancy was, um, it was a lot. And for Amelia, it's been tough after giving birth to her baby boy. She not only has to navigate motherhood with a chronic illness, but has also started her postpartum period journey, which has left her in even more pain than before. My symptoms are way more intense and uh, the pain that I'm in is, it's not like it was previously to pregnancy where I could somewhat manage it or it was like, you know, just around my period of ovulation time. Like I've been in like pain almost every day leading up to this period. And since my last period, I just feel like it's a, a bit of a battle at the moment. So there's a lot to figure out. So you might be thinking, yeah, okay, giving birth sounds painful, but what about just having sex? Can you even do that with endo? For some people, they do experience pain every time. But for Amelia, that's not the case. I never really got too much of it. There are certain times during my cycle where I will feel more pain than usual. There are certain positions where I'll feel more pain than usual. So I've kind of learned to know what kind of triggers um, my endo with sex. 
So it's really important to get to kind of know your body and for your partner or to understand um, what's happening exactly. Um, They have to be super patient with you as well, I think, but finding what works for the both of you is super important. Bridget's experience with sex and endo is similar, but a lot of the time pain will get in the way and it can mess with you and your partner mentally. I became sexually active when I was 18 and it was very painful. Um, I thought just the first few goes that was just how it is, getting into the swing of things. Um, But that pain continued and it was really debilitating. I remember uh, there was, yeah, one night uh, at my first boyfriend's um, house, I like we had to stop midway and I I went home. I just like got in the car and drove home because I just could not deal with the pain. Uh, It was like a burning, stinging, pulling pain. And that's kind of what it is because some um, of the the endo you know when it's found across your pelvic cavity and when you're doing penetration like it can pull so it's just like such an uncomfortable feeling um luckily the two relationships that I've been in both partners have been really understanding and patient but you can't help but inflict a lot of self-blame and guilt and you Mm. think you know like yeah something's wrong with you and you're just not made to have sex and um so it's a really difficult kind of pill to swallow when when you're trying to have pleasure and enjoy that time and and get close and this is kind of getting in the way. Something, you know, it's not every single time, but um, a lot of the time it will kind of get in, in the way of things. So it's, I think, as Amelia said, it's just one of those things you need to kind of start talking about and feel comfortable having those conversations. And um, it's hard for the partner too, because, you know, they, mm-hmm. as understanding as they can be, they probably also can't help but feel a bit of rejection. And then they start kind of probably creating uh, scenarios in their own head that they've caused. So how do you manage endo with sex? Tanya Coons is a sex therapist who has an interest in helping people who experience painful intercourse. And her first tip is communication, but also empathy. I I get lots of clients, couples come in where there hasn't been much conversation about endo or about painful sex. And then what can happen is, you know, the partner who's feeling like getting knocked back all the time and not really understanding why can get a bit pouty, you know, like why can't I have my favourite position or why can't we have sex more times than I'd like? And they don't really understand that it's really freaking painful and that there's nothing that their partner can do about that. It's it's really tricky for people to manage because it's really shitty and it's really unfair and I think you need to allow a little bit of space for that. She's also got another handy abbreviation that she tells her clients. What I would do is give the person with endo what I call the three Ps, right? You decide whether there's going to be penetration, you decide what position it is and you decide what pace it's going at because often starting something and banging away for people with or without endo is not very, very pleasant. But if you're getting pain, then the person with the pain needs to to control what the pace is. And I would recommend starting slow and just, again, seeing what is possible. PPP, all in the name of pleasure. Lastly, Tanya says instead of concentrating on what's not possible in the bedroom, concentrate on what is possible and upping your outer course game. There's so much freaking wonderful stuff that you can do that's way better, I think, than stock standard penetrative sex that a lot of people are having. I just want to quickly add on to that too, Tanya. I think it's so important and it's only something that I've only kind of just realised is it's embracing that kind of teamwork mentality, whether it is, you know, if you're in a relationship or you're just having casual sex, going in, both of you understanding you need to go in as like, we're a team here, we're going to make this mm. fun for both of us. 
um, let's talk about the ways, like the things that make us feel good and meet in the middle. Like, and you, yeah, that obviously means you need to have the conversation, but I think just you do need to meet in the middle. Bridget makes a really good point. Teamwork makes the dream work. So if you're a partner of someone who has endo, this is a great mindset to get into. It's also good to be on the same page when it comes to your basic understanding of what endo is. Taking the time to, yeah, kind of understanding what endo is, like take it back to the, you know, basics and and the root of this pain. And if you understand that, I think it will just make um, your future conversations and your future bedroom encounters a lot easier. And Amelia agrees. Communication, she is key. Really sitting down and communicating how important and how this affects your life, not only just physically, but mentally, emotionally as well, and making them aware of little things that they can do to help you. Sometimes partners just have no idea, and especially with something like endometriosis that isn't spoken about a lot, um, nothing is... TMI. You just have to kind of lay it all out on the table and go as much in depth to it as you can and let them in. Don't, don't, you know, for the person that does have endo, don't be scared to let them in. I think that's really important to add as well. And yeah, let them help you. After hearing all these stories, it feels like we, along with endo warriors, specialists, doctors and the like, are just scratching the surface. But it's incredible to see that word, endometriosis, becoming less alien. It's being talked about more than ever before. So maybe we can start uncovering that mystery. Send this podcast to someone you know who might be going through it or has a loved one going through it. I'm sure it will really help. And as always, if you have a question, a love or sex dilemma that we can help you with, Hit us on Instagram at Triple J The Hookup or email thehookup at abc.net.au. We are here to help. We'll catch you next week.